Hello, church family. Um, while I'm sad that I don't get to see um, each of you in person, it is uh, a true blessing and a true joy to be able to open the scriptures with you today. Uh, so today we'll be in John chapter 15. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, I want to uh, set some expectations for our time uh, together in the scriptures today. Uh, first, I'm going to try to keep our time today around uh, 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, this format, um, I really feel like is difficult for you uh, as hearers. It's definitely difficult for me as a speaker because uh, I'm not speaking to anyone in the room right now. Um, so I want to try to keep it to about 25 minutes. But what I'm going to ask you to do um, is to really just right now create an environment for yourself that's distraction-free. If you aren't using your phone as your Bible, put your phone away. If you've got something else going on in the background, uh, try to you know just turn that off and really create a space for you right yourself right now where uh, together we can open the Word uh, and hear what the Lord has for us today. So hopefully you've arrived in John 15, and we'll get started in verse one. Jesus says, "I am the true vine." My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. God, we do confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. So God, I do pray that in this time together that you would show us our great need and demonstrate your all-surpassing sufficiency to meet every need in our lives, to be our greatest joy, to fulfill our deepest longings. Spirit, today, come and wash us with the word that we may be clean. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get too far in today's text, we need to understand the context of Jesus' words, specifically the significance of vines and vineyards. In the Old Testament, uh, 
The vine is a common symbol for Israel, and this is sometimes used interchangeably with vineyards. And this is really meant to represent Israel as the covenant people of God. And while the purpose of the vine should be to bear fruit for the owner, references throughout the Old Testament instead stress Israel's repeated failure to bear good fruit. For example, in Isaiah 5, we see uh, the author writes, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So there's this sense in which God is looking out at this vineyard, and he's he's pleased with what he's planted in Israel, but he's looking for the good fruit, and he can't find it. He's looking for justice, but finds instead bloodshed. He's searching for righteousness, but instead finds an outcry. And in today's text, in contrast to such failure, Jesus himself claims, I am the true vine. This is the final of the I am statements in John's gospel. And it would have taken the audience aback. It would have completely shocked them because if Jesus is the Messiah, how could he identify himself with Israel and specifically Israel's past and all of their failures? And yet in today's text, Christ puts himself forward as the one to whom Israel pointed, the one that brings forth good fruit. Jesus is indeed the channel through whom God's blessings flow. Just as Jesus is the new temple, in today's text we find that Jesus himself is the new Israel, the true vine. Thus Jesus, in the text, displaces Israel as the focus of God's plan of salvation. Membership among God's people is now defined in this new covenant as in Christ himself. And it is life within this new covenant that is the focus of our time in John 15 today. There's only one point to today's sermon. One point. The aim of Advent is abiding in Christ, now and forevermore. The aim of Advent is abiding in Christ, now and forevermore. Or to say it another way, Christ came that we would have fullness of joy, bearing fruit in him. But there are two distinct dangers to fullness of joy in fruit bearing, both of which today's text addresses. The first is that we would see the production of good fruit as a task that relies primarily on our own performance. This is the danger of legalism. The second danger is that we would not see the value or good of living a life of fruitful obedience at all. We wouldn't see any value in that. And this is the danger of apathy. And both dangers exist because, as we see in the text, we cannot separate fruit-bearing from joyfulness. So as we walk through today's text, you cannot miss this. You cannot separate fruit-bearing from joyfulness. And as we come to the text, this seems impossible. It feels overwhelming. It's terrifying. 
It's exhausting. And this isn't just because of our own lived experience, but because we've read, we know the history of God's own people. We see from the scriptures in chapter after chapter, in book after book, that God's people are completely incapable of keeping the law. Explicitly, using vine and vineyard language, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea, God details how his people have failed to bear fruit and as a result of that are deserving of destruction. And here in today's text, in this new covenant reality, Jesus is also clear, those who are in him bear fruit. God's people are recognizable because of the fruit they bear. And those who don't bear good fruit, in today's text, are tossed into the flame by the Father, the vine dresser, because they're useless. So how is it that we reconcile our need to bear good fruit with our complete inability to do it? How do we avoid the danger of legalism? Look back at the text with me in verse 3. Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. If you were in Christ, you already dwell secure in his word. You are already clean. This means that the work of joy-filled fruit-bearing in our lives is not and cannot be dependent on our own effort or ability alone. It is because of what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus, the Word made flesh, that we can produce fruit of obedience. Keep following along in the text. Look back with me at verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Please don't miss this. The effort needed in fruit producing is not born of strain or strife or of your perfectionism. It is born of resting. It springs forth from abiding. The effort needed in fruit producing comes from resting. It springs forth from abiding. As we return time and time again to the word that makes us clean, we remain in Christ as those who have been washed by his blood. We remain in him righteous and holy. This means that there is not a single ounce of holiness that you can produce on your own apart from Christ. There is not one righteous work that you can accomplish apart from Calvary. Our problem is that we are a new covenant people with old covenant habits. We still want to be the vine. We remain convinced, like Israel, that we can keep the law on our own. We don't see how all of our festivals and ceremonies and processions miss the heart of God's law altogether. 
We keep the tithe, but ignore love of neighbor. We are faithful to our work, but not to our wife. We extol the virtue of being at church while neglecting the word and prayer in our daily lives. We declare our righteousness from the law while ignoring that we, like Israel, are simultaneously being condemned by it. Somehow we have made the pursuit of holiness about us. And in doing so, we have proclaimed that which we claim to adore. The aim of Advent is abiding in the arrival of the long-anticipated Jesus. And we avoid the dangers of legalism by remaining in the sufficiency of this arrived Messiah's work. We avoid the danger of legalism by remaining in the sufficiency of what the Messiah has completed for us. If you are feeling exhausted and overwhelmed, can I just encourage you right now to slow down, to slow your mind, to slow your heart, and to let this reality sink in. God really loves you. He sees your striving and your failure, your exhaustion and your sadness, and he identifies with it all. Christ has declared himself to be the true vine, to be the better Israel. And in doing so, he has succeeded in every single place where you've failed. Indeed, there is always more grace in him than there is sin in us. So how is it that we abide in Jesus? How do we avoid the dangers of legalism, of falling back in to the ways of Israel? Look back at the text starting in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Abiding in Christ involves letting His words abide in us. Look at the text in verse 7 at how these two things come together. The Word abiding in us and effectual prayer flowing through us. The Word abides in us as Scripture is believed. And as it is cherished in our hearts and as it rolls back and forth in our imagination until its implications spill over into our daily lives as love and joy and peace and righteousness. Jen Wilkin wrote recently that it's been said that we become what we behold. And certainly we talk about this at TCC a lot. But she continues by pointing out something that's incredibly helpful that there is nothing more transformative to our lives than beholding God in his word. 
as God's words in Christ imbue our heart, a holy imagination flows forth from us that prompts us to ask God to bring about obedience in the heart. God's words shape the desire of our hearts such that we begin to desire obedience. And it is this fruit-filled obedience that invites those who are far off from the kingdom to come near in Christ, as we see later in the chapter in verses 16 and also in verse 27. This is why we see in the conclusion of verse 7 that as spirit-saturated, word-soaked saints, we can ask anything of God confidently, knowing that our pleadings, our deepest longings are actually for Him and in Him. And so in word and in prayer, by abiding in Christ the true vine, the good fruit of obedience springs forth to the glory of the Father as we see in verse 8. there's another danger here. Apathy, a refusal to see the goodness of the fruit of obedience. You see, the poison fruit of the vine of legalism is apathy. The poison fruit of the vine of apathy is, sorry, the poison fruit of the vine of legalism is apathy. Legalism doesn't just demand more and more effort. It causes people to actually give up. Legalism doesn't produce morality. It yields apathy. And Derwin Gray was so hopeful here. He recently commented that we've developed a Santa Claus theology. We live our lives trying to make it onto the nice list or at a minimum avoid the naughty list. And this isn't just a Santa Claus theology. This is a theology of exhaustion because you can never meet this expectation. This is why legalism always ends in apathy because none of us are on the nice list. All of us are naughty. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And while I get it, this seems like bad news, this seems overwhelming and impossible, it actually isn't. Because as we see in the text, Christ himself is acknowledging that you can do nothing apart from him. There isn't an expectation on Jesus' part that you're going to fix it. That's what the cross was about. This is the whole reason Christ came. Remember, Advent's aim is abiding. Look back at the text in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus' words, the word that makes us clean, it doesn't just produce good fruit. It doesn't just bring about obedience. It ends in full joy. We abide fully in Christ by enjoying God's joy. We abide in his love by loving Christ's love. In university, my roommates and I, we took classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays only. And we did that so that on the weekends we could go backpacking. We would set out after class on a Thursday. We would pack everything up in the car and we would race to our latest destination. And Saturday was always my favorite day because we would speed out on Thursday 
we would arrive at our destination all day Friday. We would kind of you know, hike in into the backcountry, and you know, we would set up camp Friday night. But Saturday, on Saturday, we would rise early, and we would hike the rest of the way up to the peak of whatever mountain we were conquering that weekend. And this was always my favorite because we would reach the top of the mountain. And most mornings, a heavy fog would still be sitting around the mountain, settled all around us. But as the sun would rise, its rays would cut through the fog. And as the light burned through the blurry mist, the landscape below would be revealed and we would be able to see a lot of times for miles the beauty of God's creation and all of its splendor. In Desiring God, John Piper writes, but to enjoy Christ, we must know him. Seeing is savoring. If he remains a blurry, vague fog, we may be intrigued for a season, but we will not be stunned with joy. As when the fog clears, do you find yourself on the brink of some vast precipice? I get it. Many of us feel like we have been climbing an endless mountain for about two years now, just waiting to get to the top where we might, for just a moment, get a glimpse of Jesus once more. The isolation, the seemingly endless infighting, the threat of getting sick, the sadness of loss. It has obscured the beauty of God. For many, even today, Christ feels far off, vague, or even just not worth it anymore. We have forgotten that by virtue of being in Christ, He has already brought us near. He has already washed us clean. God in Christ, the true vine, has brought us into his family that we would have fullness of joy bearing fruit in him. So as we come out of Advent into a new year, allow the warmth of seeing God's beauty in his word, allow the sweetness of savoring communion with him in prayer, Allow that to cut through the fog that keeps you from experiencing the fullness of joy in Jesus. Abide in Jesus with fullness of joy, bearing fruit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word to us. That you have loved us enough to speak to us. That you have loved us enough to tell us of your love, to invite us into it, to beckon us to rest in it. God, for my brothers and sisters who are weary and beaten down, God, grant them hope by your Spirit in this reality that you deeply love them. And that there is not anything that can separate them from your love for them in Christ Jesus. 
So God, give the saints of TCC the strength to comprehend what is the height and breadth and depth and length of your love for them in Jesus. God, give them the strength to find it in your word. The strength to commune with you in prayer. And God, as we seek you in your word, as we come to you in prayer, God, help us to find you there and to find fullness of joy that we would bear much fruit in obedience that those who are far off from you would be brought near in the gospel of grace. So God, we love you. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Dear church, thank you for uh, time in the word together today. I do hope that you had a wonderful Christmas, that you have a wonderful new year, and I cannot wait to see you again soon.